What's up, everybody? Welcome to Salah's Corner with the one and only Salah Muhammad. <laughs> what was the delay for? I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Welcome welcome to another week. Hi, guys. What, what's going on? Well, you know, life. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, uh... This this past weekend was was crazy with the with the ice storm. Did you slip and brush your ass? Did you go outside and slip and brush your ass? God no. I I I, uh, I I parked somewhere. I was downtown and like started to walk and had to like turn back around. It was like nope, not mm-hmm. doing that. I mean, I've saw I've seen videos of other people Busting slipping ass. and falling. Yes, but me personally, no, thank you. I stayed inside and. Um, Retwisted my locks. It's coming out good. I like them. Thank you. They look real good. Thanks. I remember my my early lock journey days. I like my hair now. I like to whip it back and forth. <laughs> I mean, like you can obviously tell that a non professional did it, because it's like I can tell a non professional did it, and so. I'm, but like whatever, I'm poor and I can't afford it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am also poor and uh, do not go. Well, I actually I just recently. A few weeks ago, I went to the salon for the first time in like four years. I'm coming up on five years of having my hair. Wow. Next month will be five, my five-year lock anniversary. Finger snaps. Right? All right. What's new with you? Um, I don't know. I'm going through a lot right now. Oh, yeah. So I'm just kind of living here. <laughs> just living. <laughs> just living. I, I feel you. There, there's a, there's a weird air, like a weird feeling in the air, like in the city and just like in general with a lot of things. So mm-hmm. I kind of feel you. Yeah. February is a lot of like, I talked to a lot of coworkers and they were like, no, oh, this is the time where we're like, we're just kind of taking it easy and just like, shit's crazy right now. So let's just take a breath. Yeah. I feel like I have to do with that with a lot of things in my life right now. I'm going to actually take a break. Mm. And, like, just stop for a little bit. I feel like I'm drowning. Yeah. I've been going to school for something for about five or six years now. And I just need, a like, I'm not accomplishing anything. So I'm going to take a break from school. And um, I am i haven't actually started working on the book. But I've, like, you know, just been thinking of ideas and stuff like that. But... Yeah, it's definitely break time. Yeah. I feel that. I uh I can speak I can feel that. I'm super tired right now. Um so I'm feeling a little sluggish today if I don't sound like I'm a little sluggish. <laughs> I definitely feel it. So I feel you on a break. Is it thing. like a physical thing or is it mental or is it both? It's a little bit of both. Um I actually like I I notice when you know, tell me if you're like this with the different things that you work on. I noticed that when it takes me a while to respond to text messages, I, I'm I'm feeling a little overwhelmed and overworked and like anxiety is hitting me. <laughs> and like I have a message in my DMs right now that I have not opened yet about somebody asking me to do something. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't like, because mm-hmm. I know me, I also also overcommit to a lot of things. Oh, yeah. And so like just the anxiety of me trying to accommodate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, I can't even open that message right now. Yeah. I do that with phone calls. 
Mm, yeah, don't like, call me, actually. I do that with phone calls, specifically my academic advisor. <laughs> <laughs> like, I see that it's you calling me, and I'm, I don't want to talk to you. How are, are, you, which, what, are you a phone person, or are you a text person? In regards to, like, what? Just anything, like, anything. Um, Just communication, period. I think it depends. I think it's a good uh, a good mix of both because I feel like there a lot gets lost in translation with text messages. Mm. And so depending on the conversation, a text message can be extremely difficult to have that conversation. Um, but then sometimes I just don't want to talk to you mm. and I just rather text you. Um, yeah. So I think it depends on what the conversation is. I, I talk to my sisters all the time. I will sit on FaceTime and they'll be t- literally talking about nothing. I or it's like kids around and, we'll, you know, I'll talk to the kids or whatever. So, But it depends. It depends. I'm not that at all. Don't ever call me. I don't want anybody <laughs> ever calling me. I, I, always, I, I always text him for the record and I didn't know this, but I'm always usually just texting him like, hey. Yeah. I, 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 I'm with you on the like, you know, if there is something very specific that needs to be conveyed and like you don't have you don't want to leave room for misinterpretation mm-hmm. or something like that. Like I I'm 100 percent there a phone call. But outside of that, don't ever like nobody call me. Don't <laughs> ever call me because like people don't the, the frustrating thing. This is totally off topic. But the frustrating thing that I find about people is that people don't know how to have conversation. I can agree with that. Like, they just sit yeah. there. And I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm fucking busy. Like, <laughs> I want you to sit here. If I, I'm the, see, for me, I'm I'm a person that um, if I don't have anything to say, then I won't say it. And it's not that I, if, I don't, if I don't have something nice to say, I won't say it. If I don't have anything to say, yeah. then I won't talk. Yeah. Like, I'm just that kind of a person. And so if I'm, like, when I talk to my sisters, it's one thing because, like, the conversation will, you know, go wherever it goes. Mm-hmm. But even with them, like sometimes we'll just be sitting there and I'm like, yeah, okay, so I'm going to go now because I don't want to just look at you anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. People don't know how to have conversations. That's why I, I that's why I don't like meeting new people. <laughs> because I'm one of those people. Like I don't I'm not a very big small talk person. Yeah. And so like I said, if I don't have anything to say to you, then I, then I won't. I'm the same way. I'm very social, um, especially like in in person mm-hmm. in different settings. Um, you know, which is the complete opposite of that because like I know how to have conversation in person, and I know how to kind of progress the conversation. But I can also just completely like end the conversation and walk away if it's like stalling or the person isn't really giving me and it ain't going anywhere. I really can't like on the phone. I don't really have the time to just constantly be like, so what do you want? Like, what do you want? Like, for instance, if I'm going to like a networking event, right. In person, remember those before COVID. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm very good at being able to just like bounce around the room. Yeah, like, no, I'm a wallflower. Not me. I make it a point to, because it's like, it's the perfect setting to like a networking group. 
or, you know, see a group of four people and literally just walk up to them and just start listening to the conversation and then interject yourself. That's considered perfectly normal. Obviously, that's not the case in, like, real life if you just <laughs> on the street somewhere. Right. That shit ain't cool. <laughs> but, like, in a networking setting, like, that's perfectly normal I to haven't do. really been to many networking events, though, so I guess that's probably why that I'm... I would never do anything like that. I wonder if we'll ever get back to networking events. I would hope. I would hope so. I would like to be able to like socialize with people and <laughs> learn you, to socialize with yeah, people. There we go. There we go. <laughs> um, but like people are gross though, and like the more yeah. you you like the more we in this COVID, and you like, realize how you realize all nasty of the all of the all of the, yeah. the, the the shit that we it's do gross. is like actually really nasty. I don't want to shake nobody's hand at no networking event anymore. You curse. Did you wash? <laughs> like, hell. Did you just sneeze into your hand right? and like, let it air dry nasty. and then shake my hand? Because like I'm that person that carried hand sanitizer with them before COVID. Mm-hmm. And like I got in a car, like I always had something like. But I think like, I have two in my purse. Yeah, like, I always got. I used to have the um, and I I know I still have one. The uh, the hand sanitizer keychain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kept those on deck. Yeah, we got a way off topic after we started talking about phone conversations and just spiraled down. <laughs> um, all right, that's what's going on with you. Let's see what's going on with me. Um, I don't know, man. I got nothing. I got a lot of stuff actually. Uh, I always say I don't got nothing, but I have a lot of stuff that I'm actually going to, one of the things I'm going to bring up later okay. when we're talking about everything is local, um, but let's see what is new um, tomorrow. Well, by the time this episode airs, uh, we have, we ha- will have watched uh, on a Zoom call half of um, the documentary, the 13th. You mean the horror story? <laughs> it's a uh you know this is going to be a part of our main topic conversation as well <laughs> um but for some people it is a horse it for a lot of people it is a horror story just because like um there there's a lot of trauma just kind of watching that especially for black people or people that have you know been in the criminal justice system but i do think it's really important for folks to watch because even if you're not new to the idea of it, it's good to like it. It does arm you with understanding, like how you need to start to dismantle it, which I think is an really, really an important takeaway, mm-hmm. um, which we'll kind of get into later. So we'll be we'll be we'll be doing some Zoom calls around that, um, watching that like a little watch party, watching that, and then uh, that's it. That's all that's new with me, honestly. I don't really. Just my same old projects. Work, working, work is is fine. I've realized this, and this has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Another rabbit hole that we're about to go down. Mm-hmm. But I realized that on my way here, I probably should have left like maybe fifteen minutes earlier so that I can stop at the wine and spirits. <laughs> Why? So I can give me a bottle of wine. <laughs> for that watch party it's gonna be it's uh, gonna be rough uh, gotcha don't be uh don't come on in uh, drunk and carrying on <laughs> you want you listen to watch that you need some type of coping mechanism because that shit is heavy true true all right um let's see politics meets pop culture do we have anything today we haven't know. had much lately we haven't we haven't i thought i do want to talk about something this definitely ain't like 
politics, directly politics related. Um, I guess you can say it's pop culture because it's kind of, well, it's not pop culture either. But I do want to talk about this real quick. The whole, the chick, the Gorilla Goo girl. That is pop culture. Is it pop culture? Yeah. All right. I guess so. Um, the whole, that whole situation. So we, we had uh, at work, we had a debate about this in the beginning of one of our Zoom calls. And, you know, if if y'all know who the Gorilla Glue girl is by now, say that three times fast. <laughs> um, y'all, I don't, y'all under a rock or something. But like, you know, she, you know, glued her hair with Gorilla Glue instead of the, hair, the actual hair, glue hair spray. Yeah, the Gorilla hairspray, you know, whatever. Ended up having to have it like surgically cut off of her and all of this, like had to fly out to like L.A. to see a, a surgeon out there. A black surgeon. A black surgeon. Who saved her hair. Saved her hair. But now she's suing Gorilla Glue for this. Did you hear about this? Yes. What what are Vaguely. your what are your initial thoughts about that? Just like the lawsuit and like the whole situation. It's frivolous. I think it's frivolous. Why so? Come on, give me give me deep. I mean, because it's fucking gorilla glue. Like it's wood glue. Not it's, wood glue. It's it's no hers was what hers was wood glue. I was believe. it the wood glue spray? I believe so. Mm. And so, like, come on, girl. So, like, when we when we were talking about it on our call, we start it got, we got into the conversation around like how like coffee cups say hot on it. Yeah, and I watched how, that documentary actually, which is kind of crazy, amazing, right? And so, like, is this another one of those things? Like, because I think one of the, I, I I haven't, you know, don't skewer me. I haven't looked into the details of this lawsuit, but I believe some of the basis is that like it doesn't say the product specifically, specifically doesn't say it's not used to be used for hair, right? And so, in the realm of like black culture, right? And, you know, we have a lot of, of our hair and the history of our hair and having hair, to right. use glue. Grease, and there's a lot of actual products. cooking grease in our hair during slavery. The women had to use grease mm-hmm. and lard and, in their hair. And there's a lot of products that are used for hair that have similar names or usages mm-hmm. not for hair right and so by not thinking of our audience and always separating our culture now we're you know we've possibly been put into this position where like you know or this woman you know regardless of her you know folks want to talk about her level of intelligence like is there an argument there and i honestly think that that is something that should be pursued in court regardless of like um, you know, if she ends up having to win some, if she ends up winning some money from Gorilla Glue from the company, because like this is a drop in a bucket for them. Like, oh they yeah, ain't really, they ain't gonna miss know. nothing. So like, I'm all for like her coming up on some change. If she I can. mean, if she come up, then you know, that's what's up. <laughs> that's what's up, sis. Yeah. Like, do you boo? But I, I think I do think it's. While I get your point, I do think it's a bit frivolous. Cause like, come on, sis, like. If if uh, for going back to the, the the coffee thing, if folks, you know, I can't remember the name of the documentary, um, but essentially what happened was McDonald's was reheating coffee uh, to ridiculously high temperatures. They served the woman through the drive through. I believe the coffee was so hot. She sat it between her legs or her thighs or something like that. And it literally burned her through the cup and burned her thighs she ended up suing made a ton of money but got slandered like crazy in the years after that um 
and throughout the case as well. And so, like, for a lot of folks, people look at that situation and say it was frivolous um, without understanding kind of the backstory of it. Um, hopefully, we can pull up the it's, name it's of It's called it. Hot Coffee. It's called Art. Right, there yeah. you go. It's called Hot Coffee. It's a good documentary. It's, it's, and I it's think, really good. I think it, like, helps to contextualize, like, the products that we have. It, it does provide and, like, a lot of how context. It, how it, it hurts us if it's not... You know, the proper warnings aren't displayed as it relates to the other usage of other types of products in our day to day life. Like, I think that's a I think that's a legitimate question. And I think a lot of ways the burden is on companies when Mm -hmm. they create this to make sure that they put those proper disclaimers that's in place, regardless of like people should just know better. Right. Like, you know, anyway, moving on. I mean, sis should have known better. But (sighs) do you, boo? A couple million. Mm -hmm. That's all. Her new, she could get a whole new uh, collection of wigs out of that, right? Finger snaps, sis. <laughs> All right, everything is local. What's happening local? Um, so you got good news. It sounds like I, this, I don't never is, got good. This news. This one isn't good news. Oh, it's ain't good news. The, oh, the wow. good news one that I saw was a bit too good for me. It was very fluffy <laughs> and it was very just like no fluff pieces. We got a lot of murals on sides of buildings. Like I don't care about why you did this one. Kind mm. of. It's neither here or there. But I just figured this one, this one I think will tickle you extremely. It will tickle you. So um, we have a Republican who has declared in the DA race for Philadelphia. Who? (laughs) So his name is Chuck Peruto. And... Mr. Peruto, would you like to know two of Mr. Peruto's uh, clients? Please, let's know. Gary Heidnick, who is a murderer who kidnapped, tortured, and raped six women, killing two of them while holding them prisoner in a pit in his basement. And Joey Merlino... Uh. Skinny Joey. <laughs> yeah. So he's running for DA um, because he says that our current DA is the reason for uh, the rise in crime. You know, this, I think, this conversation, I think, is going to tie into the conversation we're going to have next week. I think week. so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Well, it's going to tie a little bit into this one. Yeah. But specifically into next week's conversation because mm-hmm. we will, we, we, you know, we ran into a scheduling snafu. So we're going to have our guest next week um, who has some experience uh, working out of the district attorney's office under Seth Williams. He's running as a Republican. They're yes. saying he's going to be running um, unopposed. So he will be going up against our, our current DA in the, uh, the next election. Uh, well, that's if our current DA wins the primary. Well, yeah, that um, part. That you know, I'm gonna say I'm gonna save my my commentary on that one. Actually, <laughs> I'm gonna save it. I'm gonna, uh, mark that, write that down. We're gonna circle back to it once we get into the main topic. Okay. Um, let's see. For me, there's so much happening in the city right now. Honestly, uh, kind of what I was hinting at earlier. You got the crazy nonsense of what's happening with the Philly schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just like I don't know what the fuck is up with Philly. Like, what's up with like the administrators, elected leaders? Like, 
pay are just really trash in the city, like really, really trash. And I can't quite understand how they, to this day, there's such a struggle to hold them accountable. So like the school district has, you know, really crappy plans for reopening Mm -hmm. the schools. You know, part of their plan is literally putting fans in the on boards in the windows in the middle of the winter to in the middle of the <laughs> fucking winter to increase circulation, uh, air circulation in the classrooms to to meet the CDC standards so that they can open up classrooms back for students. Meanwhile, you know, I posted this on my IG. Like you got like literally just a few miles away in suburban school districts. You know, right outside the city. You know, they're literally installing air purifiers in their classrooms, in the individual classrooms. I Like, I just, like, what would make you think that that is a, a good idea in the middle, let alone, like, shitty plan. But it's the <laughs> middle of the winter. Like, I mean, it's not really going to do anything once it gets warmer either, because then it's going to be too hot. Right. But then on top of that, they're going in windows that are broken that are, you know, falling apart, that are riddle. And we already know back in 2019, six schools had to shut down for renovations because exposure of lead and asbestos, Mm -hmm. right? And so now that these broken windows are, you know, exposing that asbestos, you know, we're going to put a fan in it to blow that asbestos around in a freezing cold. Like, I just, like, part of the the frustration, I was talking about this um, earlier today with with someone part of the frustration you know that i see with a lot of news outlets are doing especially on the national level you know they are just looking at cdc guidance says reopen schools if you follow these guidelines Mm -hmm. well the problem is in a lot of philadelphia schools and a lot of black schools around the country i'm about to say let's just be quite frank the schools were shit before that right so they were already operating at subpar standards and so, re, like, now parents and teachers and other school officials are like, we're sick and tired of operating in these conditions. You can't keep putting all of this burden on our students and on our teachers who are underpaid and under-resourced and everything and then just keep telling us that we got to reopen if, like, the air quality is a certain – like, but, like, these these schools literally have asbestos issues that we figured out or we've known for decades, but we just started acknowledging and st- half – like, not even halfway dealing with, you know, in 2019 – and we haven't even addressed all of those. And now we bringing them back into the school and not addressing the air issues and ability for testing. And, and it's just like testing vaccinations. We can't keep operating like under these same conditions over yeah. and over and over again with no real remedies on on how to actually fix these issues. And we just keep putting Band-Aid after Band-Aid after Band-Aid over it. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's not even a Band-Aid. It's literally like a piece of tissue and some tape. Like, that's the type of fix that we're operating in Duct these schools. Duct tape fixes everything. It's so crazy. Like, um, anyway, that's, that's what's going on. And that's my rant right now. There's some. There's a whole lot of other things, but we ain't got time because I'm a job. <laughs> we day. need to dedicate a show just to your rants. I, you know what? I've been thinking of <laughs> when I initially launched this podcast, I had a segment carved out for just like my rant. But I was like, I don't want to hear that. So let, <laughs> let me know if y'all want to hear me rant for like 20, maybe not 20 minutes. Maybe I'll pick one topic uh, every episode for five minutes. I'll rant. If y'all want to hear that, let me know. If y'all don't, that's cool. I'm, I'm cool Please. with that too. Please. 
let us know. Um, all right, let's <laughs> let's take a quick break, um, and then we are going to come back with our main topic. All right. Here at Salas Corner, I am always looking to connect with new people, hear new perspectives, and share new stories. And right now, I want to hear from you. Email me at realtalk@salascorner.com, and we can get your story featured on our next episode. All right, welcome back. Um, so, opening. So, opening. So, how did we come across this topic? We um, uh, this conversation, I think started to bore out um, of what we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. with um, watching the documentary The 13th by uh, Ava DuVernay um, on Netflix. I highly recommend folks watch it. Um, prepare yourself. Uh, it's definitely an emotional roller coaster. Um, but I think there are a, there's a lot of just, again, if you are a, a supporter of either... Um, changing or reforming the criminal justice system or if you are a supporter of trash the whole thing and start from scratch I think it arms you with some very important or either no matter what side of you are on actually even if you are not on the on the on the fence on either one of those even if you are a really staunch supporter of the criminal justice system it really does um, paint a very specific picture about basically the criminal justice system is trash. <laughs> it is specifically designed to hurt black people. And yes. um, if you think it's not designed to hurt black people, it's not achieving anything other than hurting black people. So whatever you think it's designed for, it's not doing it. And so it needs to change. So I think that's the overarching like outline, I would say, of, of that documentary. Mm-hmm. We started to talk a little bit about like, well, you know, as you start to navigate the space and as you start to believe and reform or prison abolitionists um, or moving to a model of uh, restorative justice, how do you as an individual, not just like as an organizer or an activist or a person speaking out against the system, but how do you as an individual operate and live your life in that system, especially when harm is done to you? When you hate it and don't believe in it and understand that whoever when you if a harm is done to you, if you bring in the criminal justice system that you are likely yourself to be victimized or the person who you may not wish any harm on ends up being victimized. And so like how and do their you as an families individual, and their families, the, the people who love them are and you're victimized. Yeah. Right. And so like I think. The thought process that we're about to go on, um, and we haven't even really dived into this discussion too deeply yet, is just like, how does an individual operate in that? What do you do? What do you do when there's harm done to you? What do you? How do you respond um, when you feel like you have no recourse to to address your situation? Um, what are your initial thoughts? My thoughts are: I have no fucking idea. Yeah. Yeah, I just I don't have a clue of what that looks like. I mean the the system that we have now is all I've known. So I don't know what anything else looks like. 
Um, I wouldn't know how we would achieve that, but I know that something needs to happen, right? Like, is the system is well? I was, <laughs> I was about to say the system is broken, but I think that was a um, an instinctual phrase to say because the system isn't broken. It is working exactly the way it was designed mm-hmm. to work, um, and so I am at a loss of how to navigate that space. Um, I'm going through something myself and where it's like, I know what I could do to get a person who is harmful to my life out of my life. I know exactly what I can do, but I also know <laughs> what that system is. And I understand what the repercussions that will fan out from that what that would be and I feel like I don't I I don't I'm not exactly sure of um what road I was taking but I feel like I'm going down a road of abolition Mm -hmm. I would never call myself an abolitionist before because I did I truly didn't understand what it was and I'm, I'm still learning but um I'm on the the road on the journey of becoming an ab, of becoming an abolitionist because the the system is not it's not working it's not right it's harmful it's violent it's dangerous it's inhumane it's it's just it's not right and so I don't I don't know how to navigate in it I don't know what to do when you realize something isn't working right, there's this initial reaction of like um, rejection of that idea mm-hmm. that it's not working because it's what you've come to know. It's what you've been taught. It's what's been indoctrinated into you. It's your first instinct to right. go to. Right. But then once you start to accept it, you know, there is this loss of like, well, where do I go? Where do I go for solutions on these different things? Um, how do I change the way I think Um, and I think part of that is also understanding of like well where do you you, where do you want to go you know this system or this institution or this over here is no longer in existence or cannot function and so what are what are the ideal um, things structures that should be in place that should actually work Mm-hmm. What does what does um, a system look like for someone who is the perpetrator of a crime? And in, in your ideal scenario, what would that look like? What would happen to that individual? What would um, you know? What what would happen to the victim as well? You know, all of that kind of things. Um, and so, I think part of that starts to, and I think that sounds like where you are is like. You know, what type of model mm-hmm. are you like moving towards? Um, I would ask you this, like what um, how much do you know about um, none? Yeah, let me ask. OK. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, do, how much do you know about restorative justice? I can't say that I know much. And, and I'm not OK. A lot of people think that I'm this like radical, like you know, this radical, like, activist person. Yeah. And I'm 
I'm just figuring it out as I go. You right. know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people, and I think the benefit of the generation we're millennials, but the benefit of generations behind us is that they have access to so many things mm-hmm. that they're able to come m- into themselves as activists or just humans <laughs> much earlier than we were. Yeah. And then just my life generally, the the way that my life unfolded um, early adulthood up until m- m- well, just early adulthood. Um, and then the aftermath of what my life experience was after that, I'm growing and learning more politically, um, socially. And so I'm now learning to become the person that I want to be. And so I don't know what these things look like. Yeah, that that makes sense. And I think you... I think you echo a lot of what other folks also are feeling in this, right? Of like, I want to do something. I know what is, I know the status quo isn't working. Um, but we also operate in a system in, in a society where we, we fight, not we as like you as the mm-hmm. individual yeah. or me, but like we as a, as a, as right. a total society, right. we fight against that change because, you know what I said in the beginning, because it's a it's a it's a, a rejection of like this. Well, this is the normal. But if you don't have a criminal justice system, well, what do you do with people who commit crime? Right. Like, what do you do with people who are murderers? What about the you know, you always hear those types of arguments. What about the rapists? rapists what about the serial and, killers? Right. right. Like there's like millions of serial killers roaming around. Right. Um. I think part of that is just, like I said, understanding, well, what are those things? What what, what do those right. things look like? And the reason why I asked specifically about restorative justice is because, you know, there's a lot of, I, I mean, I am no means, by no means, um, the, the champion or someone that knows just kind of everything about uh, restorative justice. But the motto of restorative justice is one that I think a lot of folks who feel like you do can take pieces of. Mm. Um, and start to implement it into their individual lives um, when they feel like they have a harm and they don't know how to resolve it because they don't want to go down the traditional route of Mm -hmm. the criminal justice system. And so to give you like a really quick and brief synopsis of restorative justice, it's it's basically – you know, I'm, I apologize to anybody listening out there or anyone who is an expert on restorative justice or studies it. I certainly welcome you to come on to offer a better explanation. Please do, because I would love to have more conversation about this. But restorative justice and a really good thinker and someone who does a lot of work on this um, is Miriam Kaba. I got to send you a podcast to listen to. Mm-hmm. You will like it. I will definitely listen um, to it. But the, it's the idea that there are two people who need their situations or lives restored in this. It's not just you who may be the victim. It's also the perpetrator, mm-hmm. right? Because the perpetrator of that crime um, or, or that harm is also, has also been, we, we, you know, are likely to be a victim prior to that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what does a system start to look like that actually not just makes you whole, but makes that other person whole either? Because, 
we, we the the system that we have currently, we know that punishment is not a deterrent for right. a free a future crime. Right. In fact, it's more likely to be a, a, um, a, a an agitator for you for that person to commit further crimes in the future, mm-hmm. right? So we know that punishment isn't an avenue. We also know that there's no avenue for a perpetrator of a crime to commit their, or admit their their sins, their, the thing that they did, right? Because there is no avenue to restore themselves, right? And so if I knew, if, if I stole $1,000 from a bank, right, because I needed food to... Or to feed my family, or I, I had hospital bills that need to be paid for, or student loans, or whatever the case may be, right? Well, what does the, what does that look like for me? What does that restoration start to look like for me as the individual, and not just be introduced to a criminal justice system that keeps me into a second caste? Okay, of a well, I, I guess I knew what it was without the name because yeah. I understand that. But the other th- the other side of it is, um. You know, it's 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 not just, you know, what it's 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 a whole effort of the community, the perpetrator and the victim. Right. Coming together to resolve this in a way that restores you, but also allows this person a path to restore themselves um, and, uh, you know, it sounds like I'm explaining the criminal justice system, but in fact, that's not the case. Right. <laughs> right. Um, because there is no path there. There is no path to any type of restoration in those situations um, when when someone is found guilty of a crime. There's also, again, no path to a person um, admitting that they even did a crime. Like there is no incentive there. Mm-hmm. Right. There is only the incentive to you know, continuously uh, plead not guilty or defend yourself um, and never actually end up being whole your in, on, on yourself. But also the restorative justice brings the community in on what those solutions are um, to not just, you know, make sure you're whole, but make sure that the perpetrator is whole. And so, like, it's it, there's a lot of education around it, but that's taking place. The problem is, is a lot of folks that are supporters of the criminal justice system are also like, well, show me that restorative justice works. It's like, well, how the fuck am I supposed to do that? Like, we got to have it. Some, like, we have to start modeling it. Mm-hmm. And I can show you that the current criminal justice system doesn't work um, if you were talking about it being a system that rehabilitates or prevents crime. In fact, it's not any type of crime prevention. It is only a punishment system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, that, you know, I think for a lot of ways it's like, all right, well, how do I start to – how do I start to understand and study restorative justice? And then how do I start to model those practices in like my individual life, I've, I feel like I've seen, um, you know, reports and 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 um, I've seen things done on restorative justice programs mm-hmm. that are working, but but because they're so few and far between, I can't even think to go to them. Like you know, giving providing therapy services with the people who they whom they harm together. Um, things like that. I've I've seen a lot of different things, and and they have been said to have worked, but because they're not talked about, and it's probably like one 
one place in the entire country that that does it with a very specific set of criteria to even be able to be a part of a program like that. You're right. There's there's no way to be able to discuss it because it virtually isn't done. Yeah. And it's and it it leaves individuals who aren't who who don't maybe not even heard the term restorative justice that know and feel guilty about the prison system and how that operates like stuck mm-hmm. of like, well, what do I do? Like I just had my car stolen. Who do I call? I don't want to call the police because the police are trash. Um, then they're also not going to look for your car. Um, you yeah, know, if I got robbed, well, who do I call? Like, I don't want to in- involve the police. If I have a domestic dispute, I don't want to call the police right. because that could escalate the situation. Someone can get shot and killed instead of kind of de-escalating. It's hard. Like, I don't necessarily even have a, like, you know, uh, I don't think anybody could even come up with like a one solution for it. But I think there is, um, I think it is important for like folks that that look at the criminal justice system and don't want to engage with it because of how heinous it can be mm-hmm. to start modeling in their own individual lives the system that they want to actually start to see. Um, because we have that ability to do that. Restorative justice is all about the community relationships that we build before a crime actually ends up happening instead of reacting to it when you we don't have counseling when we don't have education programs when our schools are shit when you, you know, don't have then, ways for people to earn money right and then and we don't have access to health care and then you just throw a cop in there with a gun and think that's going to be the solution to it right mm-hmm. and so i think for folks that have trouble navigating that space, it's like, all right, well, what's the system? Like, it's it's having to actually sit down and think through, well, what does the system look like that I actually want to see that would be beneficial, that would restore myself if I'm the victim or the person who may be, especially somebody that I care about? Start to model that in your own individual lives and see if that becomes, starts to become like a remedy for that shit. The podcast is with uh, Chris Hayes. I really like his podcast. He interviews Miriam Kaba. Miriam Kaba works for Project Nia. I didn't Nia. listen to that one. This was probably when he first launched the, the, mm-hmm. the podcast um, in 2018, 19? No, that was 2019. 19? Yeah. Yeah, it was early 2019. Um, it was first one of the first few episodes of it. The episode got relaunched after last summer because of all of the protests and folks like heard this. They, they start hearing defund the police and then they start hearing restorative justice. So mm-hmm. folks, you know, they that podcast was really, really popular again at that time. But it really does paint a really good picture of like, you know, she uses I'm going to butcher this analogy. <laughs> I always do. But like she she you know, we she does this exercise with him um, and I'll I'll do this with you. Let's say, you know, let's say we're not related. You have a cousin, Johnny. Johnny is on drugs all the time. Johnny has problems. Johnny comes by and steals your car, right? This is your cousin. What's the first thing that you're going to do? The first, instinctually, I would think to call the police because my car has been stolen. But you know Johnny stole your car. So right. with that in mind, Johnny, you know Johnny stole your car. Who rides with Johnny? Like who 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 is he with usually? Like, right. do I know these people to get in touch with them to see if Johnny is with them so that I can go fuck ball up and get my car back? 
black people always got fuck somebody. Up. <laughs> um, but who else? Like you know, you're gonna so you're gonna contact someone who's close to Johnny. I'm gonna use community resources community, to locate maybe Johnny's mom, Johnny. your right. aunt, right? Like you're gonna call those folks before you get the police involved, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you're gonna say like, "Where's my shit? Like, give me my shit back. Like, I know you have it. I want my shit." Um, we don't have that in our society right now. Right. We we a, a, a harm is done. Perfect example of this. A couple years ago, I had two tires stolen off my car. I called the police. They fucking find my tires. Right. They're not going. They're not even going to look for them. I'm just like the cop. Technically, the cop you needed there. it for your insurance, but Mine, it was it wasn't it I'm didn't cover it didn't even cover because it, it, it was the cost. Well, your... because of the cost, like it was lower than my deductible. So I like it was shit. just it was pointless. Capitalism. Which we got to talk about insurance. Insurance is just <laughs> a whole ass scam. Capitalism. But the cop comes. He's just filling out pointless paperwork because right. they're never going to catch the person who stole my tires. I'm never going to be made whole because then I got to fucking find my tires. My insurance certainly isn't covering it. Not and those if it specific did, tires. Not those specific <laughs> tires. And and if my insurance did cover it, you had to pay for it. I anyway. would have to pay a high deductible. My insurance is going to like so in every realm of that situation, I am not made whole, and neither. And there's no path for the person who actually stole my tires to come forward. And so a lot of restorative justice also relies on making sure that we establish those types of community relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, not just to, again, make me whole, make the make the perpetrator whole, but also we know each other. And, like, mm-hmm. we don't have that in, like, in our society at all. Like, I don't know if we've ever did. And a lot of folks, especially a lot of older folks, are saying, oh, I remember the days where I knew my neighbor. But, like... Now, we don't actually have broad, strengthened community relationships where we have counselors that come into our communities when, mm-hmm. there, when there's a harm done instead of police who's just coming there to arrest and shoot somebody, right? right. Like, we don't have – we've never had those types of community relationships mm-hmm. um, in our country. And restorative justice is a lot about the, the leaning on the support that's created when we have those community relationships and and look and what they look like. Yeah. It's just it's just a lot to navigate. I want to also I want to go back to before we, we like we wrap up this this main topic. I do want to go back to cuz uh, you mentioned this Republican uh, oh, mob, yeah, mob yeah, lawyer yeah. running for district attorney with the stance on tough on crime, you know, that we see politicians do all the time. And like you know, I did a recently last week. I did an interview with someone. I, I they interviewed me, and you know, we we got around to the topic of the district attorney's race that's coming up this year. Uh, it's May is the primary. November is the general election. If COVID doesn't throw that for a loop again, like it did in 2020, we talked about you know, defund the police and criminal justice reform and all of this stuff like that. And, you know, the one stance that I took on this, and this is how I feel about this person, um, and also a lot of the rhetoric that comes out with uh, the recent rise of crime, in, not the, the, the not recent, it's been trending up since last year, mm-hmm. the rise of crime in Philadelphia, the murder rates in Philadelphia, and also trending this year of like, People in the city, you know, you saw lots of folks going out there and protesting in the summer for defunding the police and changing our criminal justice system. But we aren't really ready for it. Part of it is because of kind of what we 
talked about here. Mm-hmm. We are we are still married to the idea of the justice system that we have now. We are still married to the idea of like, you know, we 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 use a lot of the same language. We see uh, the rise of crime start to take place that we that we say we don't want anymore within our criminal justice system. So mm-hmm. the first thing that starts happening when you see a, a, the murder rate go up, we need more, you know, we need to we need to get more cops on the streets or we need to be harder on the folks that's that's picking up these guns or we need to, t- you know, scream and yell at these kids to shop, stop shooting each other. All of, And it's just like that never has worked. It has never worked. Right. Um, and so in a lot of ways, folks are saying they want to change in our criminal justice system. They want the schools and communities resourced adequately so that they aren't being introduced to the criminal justice system. So they have avenues before being introduced to them. But then when at the second they become a perpetrator of a crime, it's back to the same language that we use mm-hmm. that props up the criminal justice system. And so, you know, this is this person is a perfect, you know, maybe not this person, but. When I hear somebody talking about how they're going to be tough on crime and things like that, that is in response to a lot of the people in the city talking like that already mm-hmm. and saying very similar things. Maybe they're not saying specifically that they want more cops on the street or they want to crack down you know, on, on violence with cops, but they're using a lot of the same rhetoric on being tough on these, these folks that are out here um, perpetuating crimes and harms to other folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does nothing but just ratchet things up the back to the way it was. Yeah. Um, and so I just wanted to say that part because like folk, if you re- if folks really believe in this model of like changing the criminal justice system and understanding that it's not working in that way, we also got to change our language when we see someone that is a perpetrator of a crime. Mm-hmm. And even though it's it's hard and our natural reaction is like put them in jail forever we have to change the way we talk about that because we also we already know that that's not the solution. Right. Um, you know, even or even if it's jail for five years, we, we know that's also not the solution. Right. Like they are not being rehabilitated in there. So stop advocating for this hard crackdown on things and actually start having conversations of what it looks like to have community events. What does it look like to be in front of these folks? What does it look like to create relationships with these people? Um, it takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of, you know, pushing back on folks that likes to ramp the language up, but we can't talk out of both sides of our mouth. Yeah. And I just will also just like to say that it's okay to not know. Yes. Yes. Like, it's okay to not know. Like, I don't know a lot of shit. And it's okay. Like, but you have to be willing to learn. It's okay to not know, but you have to be willing to learn. I also don't know a lot of shit. I just want, I want people to know that I don't like, I don't try to come off as like uh, uh, professing all of this like knowledge or anything like that. I do think that when we have conversations on changing systems, it's important for us to actually stop and think about them. Mm -hmm. Um, Think about its impact. Think about the language that we use. And that's the one thing that I always, that's what I want this podcast to be is that space where we can not just react to things that we can actually stop and think about the little nuances of it um, so that we can actually implement policy to be effective because no matter what types of change we want, it can't come from one person. It has to be 
supported by the community and has to be what the community wants. And it's actually have to address the issues that we actually see. Right. All right. Um, enough of that. Yeah. Let's take a let's take a break. We're gonna come back with our right cast of the week. Oh. Hey everybody, I know throughout this pandemic, everyone has been saying we're all in this together. Well, here at Salas Corner, I want to really hear from you and what you're enduring during this pandemic. Give us a call, leave us a voice memo, and we'll play that on our next episode of Salas Corner. That number is 267-225-5891. Share with me your thoughts, your feelings, things that you're doing to survive during this pandemic, and you'll get your memo featured on the next episode of Salas Corner. All right, welcome back. We are at the moment everybody has been waiting for. I mean, you know, it's the best moment of the week. First off, what's up? Who won the last one? Who won the last one? Who you take a guess? So last week we had Phil Murphy mm-hmm. uh, for his slow dragging of signing legalized marijuana into law in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Four thousand people still being arrested. And then we had um, the asshole of all assholes, <laughs> um, Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin, who has just been like a sucker for, um, who's really honestly should be a Republican. Yeah. Um, but for kind of supporting, a, you know, some very conservative stances, even though he's supposed to be uh, a, a progressive. progressive and a part of the Democratic Party. So who do you think won? Um I think Phil Murphy won <laughs> yeah. because it's about weed specifically. <laughs> it's I, well because it's about weed and because it's more local and, than um, than than Joe Manchin. Chris Murphy, uh, I'm sorry, Phil Murphy definitely <laughs> won. Um, the weed part was a joke, but it kind it it kind of was a joke, but it wasn't. <laughs> it's it's yeah because it's it is local. Like it's very it's local, but like it hits home for a lot of people mm-hmm. because like you pat this this folks voted this into law right like this wasn't a you know something something that, that like, people came from, is away from people it's not separated right and it didn't it didn't just come from the legislature like people this made it to a referendum okay uh, right there uh, referendum and here. it they literally voted on it in november and it passed overwhelmingly over 60 percent mm-hmm. and so like, i think it was like 67 percent. and so like by a lot of folks understanding they That's probably the think it's law mm-hmm. like and thinking that they're not doing something wrong and then to turn around and then be arrested and then what makes it worse which i don't remember if we actually talked about is like they're not being prosecuted so they're being I think arrested you did mention that, yeah they are not you know they're getting sent to jail and then just being released because they're not being prosecuted and it's just like well why are you just Fucking up people's lives then yeah. for no reason, jamming up the system in the middle of a pandemic. Anyway, I think that hit homes for a lot of people. I think mine are generally more um, national, mm-hmm. and yours are usually much more local. I'm, I'm trying, and I'm a, but I'm okay with my not winning because I tend to focus my my focus is usually a lot much more on national politics and. The, you know the, the, those type of things. I, I'm I'm drawn to that kind of political. Yeah. I've, I've been trying to do well, based on some, what some of our listeners have said, what folks engage with me on social media. I've I a lot of folks want a little bit of a balance, so I've been trying to give them that balance of like things that's important that's happening locally, 
um, and with kind of like how it applies on maybe on the national level and mm-hmm. maybe just kind of dropping in some national stuff. Um, with that said, we got another one like that this week uh, with our yeah. white asses. Yeah. I usually go first. So how about you go first All this right. time? So I'm very passionate about this asshole. <laughs> um, my whack ass of the week, I'll keep it brief, is Philadelphia Health Commissioner Thomas Farley. I talked about this a few weeks ago. Basically, um, I think he's just doing a really shitty job of making sure that the vaccines are equally distributed equitably to uh, demographics of all kind in the city. I think it particularly has been hurting black communities, regardless of your stance on the, on the vaccine. I think um, he's not done enough to build those relationships. He's not done enough to make sure that black people have access to the vaccine. Um, and he gave... Uh, you know, one of the first contracts to this new organization that um, just was inexperienced in the field ultimately turned out to be a bad relationship. And after a few weeks of disseminating vaccines and they had to cancel their contract and all kinds of shit. And mm-hmm. so the rates are kind of crazy um, on, you know, the specifics of it, but basically, you know, really just not ensuring an equitable distribution of the vaccine and just like abdicating his duty. Like he's that your job in the middle of a global pandemic, um, because we are one of the few cities that got um, access to disseminate the vaccine specifically for like the city. Most people, most, most places it's happening on a state level, but because of our size, we have that um, you're doing a piss poor job of it. And so like now after they canceled this contract, they're, they're now they are running that vaccine site. And it's like, well, why didn't you do it in the first place? Like, why did you pass the buck onto some newfound organization who ended up being very, very untrustworthy? Mm-hmm. He should resign. The mayor should ask for his resignation. I think a lot of folks should come out and ask for his resignation um, because in a public health crisis, the biggest thing that you need is public trust. And mm-hmm. he does not have that. So he should resign. That's my whack ass of the week. I think your whack ass of the week is going to win. Probably. I'm I'm positive your whack ass <laughs> of the week is going to win. But mine that does not mean that mine should go undiscussed. You be, you be getting votes though. You do be getting votes. So I mean, it's people a, do, I think I think there's I think there's always two winners of the whack ass of the week and it's the two that get whack ass of the week because they be <laughs> whack as fuck. Yeah. Generally speaking. But my whack ass of the week kind of I spoke about her last week. Mhm. Um, mine is Kristen Cinema. If no one knows who Kristen Cinema is, like I discussed last week, she is a Democratic senator out of Arizona. Um, uh, last week I mentioned her because she is with Joe Manchin and with not getting rid of the filibuster. The reason I chose her for this week is not only because of that, but specifically she said that she would not be voting for uh, Biden's COVID relief plan if it had a $15 minimum wage in it because that is not a budget issue. Mm. Um, mm. How $15 min- minimum wage isn't a budget issue is beyond me. But that for me just was like, okay, like it's insane. Like how does making sure that poor people have money in a pandemic, not a budget issue. When cities are floundering. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's pretty trash, actually. Um, I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory why why it's a it's a. I mean, it's, it's a crisis. It's, I mean, it's it's, it's about a, money. It's been a crisis. How is it not a budget then? issue? It's yeah. about money. Wow. So that's why she's got whack ass of the week specifically because she got an honorary last week because mm-hmm. of you know she she got flown in there with with your mansion because you know we're both very we're very bipartisan when it comes to our whack asses. Mm-hmm. We don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. Mm-hmm. We'll come for you. And we're also not misogynistic either. Nope. We go for men and women. Exactly. And she getting it this week. She, along with Joe Manchin, might as well be a Republican because, like, something like that is is it's a it's a slap in the face to people to poor people. How yeah. can how I just I just don't understand how you can actually say out of your mouth fifteen dollar minimum wage isn't a COVID budget issue when you have quote unquote essential workers working in supermarkets and fast food places for $7 and 25 cents an hour. Yeah. That, that's, that's, uh, that's actually bonkers and wild. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've, I said it in the beginning um, of the pandemic that it really was going to expose uh, you know, in front of everybody's faces that they don't care about people. They just care about a dollar. Um, and literally to the point where, like, when we were first going through shutdowns, they were like, well, some people just going to have to die, but we can't stop the economy. Like, people were actually advocating for that. Lieutenant uh, Governor of Texas. Uh, and, and also, what's the what's the douche dude name? Uh, you said it right the first time. Um, no, no, no. The, the guy. I'm no, what, you, you called him a douche. A douche. <laughs> <laughs> no, what what's the what's the uh the, the therapist do with the talk show who was saying that some kids just gonna have to die? Wait, um, Dr. Phil Dr. said Phil, that. Dr. Phil, thank you. <laughs> Dr. Phil said that um early on in the pandemic and you know, they stuck to their guns on this and, and you know, it's no wonder that they're trying to open You have to laugh you have but, to laugh to keep from crying. Yeah. <laughs> you would think more people would be outraged about this stuff, but anyway. But um, yeah, that's a story that's, for another she's day. my whack ass of the week. Um I'm not as, I don't get as much um, feedback as Salah gets, obviously, because this is his show. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm the, the beautiful sidekick in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to know what you guys think um, about not only our whack asses, but the conversation that we were having earlier. I would really love to know what you guys think about these things. So come and hit me up, too. Yes, uh, awesome. well, drop you. Where are they gonna hit you up at? Hit drop me up on socials. the socials, um, on both Twitter and Instagram. It's Faragamo, like the clothing line, you know, Faragamo. F A R A H underscore Gamo, G A M O, on both Instagram and Twitter. Um, and you can email me at Farah dot Alisa at Gmail, Farah dot A L I Y S A A at Gmail dot com. We will put all of that in the show notes. Um, and then email me all of your questions as always at realtalk at com. I love to hear folks' feedback. Slide into my DMs. A lot of folks do slide into my DMs with like their stuff. Um, the only sliding into my DMs that I get are like the spam accounts that were like, hey, go to this page. We really want to work with you. 
I do get a lot those of those. Those are the only DMs I that I get. I do get a lot of those. But I do get some folks that, that slide in my DMs about, like, how crazy shit. Usually it's just about how crazy shit is. Um, but I, 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 I love hearing from, from folks that are listening out there. So make sure you follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Salah's Corner. Um, like I said, next week we will be talking. We'll have a guest. Um, I'm so excited. We've, we've overcome our This our is the first guest. Here. Um, with a guest host that you've had, so it's it'll be it'll be a little different. It'll the be. same, but different. And then also, we're always looking for guests. So if you if you have a topic that pertains to um, the show, um, hit us, hit, hit, hit us me up. up, man. Hit me up. We'll, we'll have you on. We'll we'll sit in the in the studio and chop it up. Um, Salas Corner is recorded out of Rec Philly. It is a space for creative individuals. It is produced. Um, I used to say produced by producer extraordinaire Bree Wilson because she was she was doing all my editing <laughs> and producing at one point. Um, but now it's Raina who's who's doing this. Who's the producer extraordinaire? Nah, she can't be ex- producer extraordinaire only because uh, only a new name. Yeah, only because that that's my wife. Bri, so yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, Raina. We gotta come up with a new name for you, Raina. Um, as you're listening to this, but <laughs> it's produced by Raina, um, and it is a space for folks to just listen, think, and learn. It's a beautiful space. If you haven't been here, come and check it out. It's awesome. Until next time, peace, y'all. Bye, guys.